Tyrese Halliburton does it again with the game hanging in the balance with the Pacers and Bulls teetering tied up late. The all-star guard gets it done at the buzzer. We'll break down the Pacers win over the Bulls, Halliburton's game winner, and more on today's Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today we're diving into an awesome, awesome, super fun, as fun as it gets game from the Pacers in Chicago. They beat the Bulls 125-122. Don't worry about that. We'll get to that in the second segment. But it was the end of the game that became the story. More heroics from Tyrese Halliburton. When the Pacers looked like they might be giving one away, their all-star steps up and saves the day once again. We'll break down all that. We'll break down the happenings of this game. A great bench game. Fantastic performance from the second unit. Chris Duarte was great. Benedict Matherin was really good. The Pacers needed all of it to get this win and a key one at that. And at the end, we'll talk Sixers, who the Pacers play tonight, a back-to-back end, an important one at that. But we begin at the end of the game because that's the natural place to go when a game like this happens. We've seen this similar story before from Pacers Heat last December, but this one was such a fascinating way for this game to go, for Halliburton to have this moment, for Tyrese Halliburton to be the guy who is shooting for stardom with seconds to go. The reason it was such a moment starts earlier in the quarter with the Pacers up by 10, 107-97 with 8 minutes and 52 seconds to go. Looked like they were going to run away with this one. They played a really good game, right? We'll talk about it again later, but pretty good first half, a better start than they normally get off to. They were getting contributions from everybody. They found some balance in the rotation with Wara starting for an injured Aaron Neesmith. They were playing well. And then the Bulls erased it all in two and a half minutes. And all of a sudden, it was a one-point game. And that erasure kind of made felt like the end of this game to me. The Pacers bench magic wore off. Their starters ran and couldn't stop it. And with five minutes to go, the home team that has the two stars was playing well. And the home team has won every game up to this point of this series between these two teams. So then for the next four minutes, it was a back and forth game, which generally, again, suits the team with stars, right? It was Pacers were ahead, Bulls were ahead, Pacers were ahead, Bulls were ahead. Bulls get ahead by three. And the funny thing was, in the, down the stretch of this game, it was DeRozan or Levine every time for the Bulls. Levine finishes with over 40 points. DeRozan was crushing the Pacers in the mid-range in the fourth. But finally, late, the Pacers found some answers, right? This is when this game turned into a fascinating affair. It, to me, it was about two minutes to go. The Pacers were up by three with two and a half minutes to go, and DeRozan scores with 2.23 on the clock. It's 117-116. And then DeRozan scores again, and this is what I was talking about with the responses. DeRozan scores. On the other end, Halliburton meticulously kind of picks apart the defense and makes clutch mastery play number one. Boom! Launches a pass to a cutting Benedict Matherin wide open. Matherin dunks, responds to the DeRozan dunk, or excuse me, the DeRozan bucket, and the Pacers are ahead. Just for the Pacers to Pacer all over themselves and give up two offensive rebounds before Zach Levine hit a 19-footer to get to his 40th point. And with 49.7 seconds to go, 
I thought we were going to be telling a different story right now, one where the Pacers, once again on the glass, could not get it done. But look at that. The Pacers answered another play from a bull star. This time it's Buddy Heald. Once again, with Halliburton making the play happen, he was the one who found Heald open on the right wing for Heald to splash it for 3, 122 to 120, now with 34 seconds to go. So if you're keeping track at home, Pacers blew a lead, but then Halliburton responded to a play from the Bulls star and assist to Matherin. Uh, credit to Matherin for dunking it. And then Halliburton responded to another play from a different Bulls star. This one an assist to Buddy Heald and credit to Buddy Heald for getting open and burying the three. So now it's 122-120, but wouldn't you know it, Zach Levine gets fouled, gets to the line with 22.6 to go. That's key. The shot clock is off and he nails them both. Credit to him. Although, let's talk about what I just said because I was kind of wrong. Zach Levine got fouled on a three. This could have been another turning point. For a young Pacers team, Benedict Matherin fouls Levine taking a three. He hits two of the three, so it's tied. Will the Pacers and will Tyrese Halliburton be able to respond one final time to this run? Shot clock's off. It's a tie game. So now you got to go back in time for a few moments, even farther from before this game. Because going back to the 10-minute mark, or excuse me, going back in this quarter when the Pacers are up 10 you can feel the game slipping away. Over time, it doesn't feel like they have it. The Bulls stars are clicking, and the Pacers have found just a few enough responses to get to this minute. The fact that they're tied should feel good for them, but they don't have the momentum. The other reasons, you have to go back in time. One to that Heat game. Uh, or excuse me, the Celtics game. The Pacers played just a few weeks ago. When they had two chances late to win it, and there were a lot of grumblings about the Pacers' final possessions, they did not pass on those possessions. Tyrese Halliburton ended up shooting on both of them. On one of them, he liked a shot. On one of them, he didn't. And the one he didn't was the final shot. He thought he had a good look with a few seconds left, but psyched himself out because it was a few seconds left. He faked. He had a worse look. He kind of fumbled the ball. And he missed a buzzer beater against the Celtics. That game did go to overtime. That game went to overtime, and the Celtics, as you remember, ended up winning that game. That is thing from the past number one you have to remember before this final possession against the Bulls. Thing number two is... Early February, when he was still with the Lakers, Patrick Beverly said after the game uh, that he heard some chirping from Tyrese Halburn or something like that. And he called him a first-year player. And so he said he wanted to win that matchup because a first-year player was talking or something. Tyrese Halburn is not a first-year player, but that's what he said. Uh, so Patrick Beverly's with the Bulls now. And Patrick Beverly was guarding Tyrese Halburn. Tyrese Halburn also just had a learning experience moment where he missed a shot in the clutch that he felt like he should have taken and instead shot later. So he walks it up and he sets it up and he waits and trickles the clock down and he sets up the action. And in his head, he thinks, and I'll read his quotes about this situation now, actually, but he thinks he's going to get shaded in a way we'll have to drive to his left. His exact quote when I asked him what he was seeing on this final possession was, they just kept jumping heavy on my right hand, so I had a lot of rejects going left, felt comfortable that Bev was going to jump on my right hand, I'd be able to get downhill left, right? So Hal Burton's coming up thinking, given the way this game's gone and the way he's been defended, that he's going to attack left, and that's what's going to be where his space is. Instead, he says, but he came up and pressured me. And then he said this part, and I just brought this up. He said, felt like against Boston. I had a shot with like four seconds left. I didn't take, waited till the buzzer, and ended up taking a bad shot. So I just shot the first one that I saw tonight, and it felt good when it left my hands. And so he's sizing up. He's sizing up Patrick Beverly, and he get, a ghost screen goes by, and he leans towards it and then does the, the Halliburton step back to create the space. And he's got a lot of space. He's also 30 feet from the basket. No problem. Halliburton rises up from the parking lot, 
drills this three right in Patrick Beverly's grill. Uh, there's some great pictures with perspective of him hitting it. Huge shot. Buried it. Pacers take a 125 to 120 lead. Bulls run a kind of creative inbounds play, but the Pacers, to their credit, really good job shutting it off. They top block Levine. DeRozan fading, unavailable. Vucevic has to take a falling away three from the wing. Turner defended it pretty well, and the Pacers win. In terms of the shot actually going in for Halliburton, it reminded me and most people a lot of the Miami game last year, hitting that game winner against the Heat on the road over Tyler Hero and Kyle Lowry. It felt a, a little similar to that one because the game was tied and it was late and Halliburton was special. Um, but this one felt a little different because of the magnitude of this game with the tiebreaker implications and the standings. The Pacers are now in 11th in the East and the Wizards lost. So they're really close to that play-in and to win in that way on the road. Super impressive stuff from the Pacers who did it in every way, but got it at the end, even though it felt like they were going to be a young team that gave this one away, lost their composure, and were getting ripped to shreds by two stars. Instead, they respond perfectly, and Tyrese Halberton shows again why he's so magnificent in the clutch, and that's why you don't pass in those situations to me. If you know on your team who your guy is who should be taking that shot and you don't risk the turnover, you just take it instead, and that's what Tyrese Halberton did. And he drained it to get a big-time win for the Pacers. While we were interviewing him uh, in the locker room, Jordan Wara ran over and said he's really like that. And then Halliburton said something interesting, too. He finished this game. We'll talk about him in the second segment in a second. But with 29 points and 11 assists, really good stat line, right? Much needed for the Pacers. But Rick Carlisle had just talked about, you know, part of what made Halliburton's game so good, is, and he does this a lot, is he balanced his scoring and passing really well, right? When it was time to pass, he passed. When it was time to score, he scored. He had a double-double. He was good. Um, on that possession, I said, was there any thought from you about, you know, should I pass, right? Is there any thought to the pass on that possession? Tyrese Halberton said, well, the game's on the line. So there's no balance. I'm looking to shoot the ball. And I think that's the mentality that he's earned because he's hit game winners this year. And, you know, O'Shea Brissett said he, in, in his mind, Brissett played a good game, by the way, um, that there was no way that shot was not going in. O'Shea Brissett jokingly said, get the buses ready. We're getting out of here. And he was right. It went in. Huge shot from Tyrese Halbert. Huge win from the Pacers. They're 29-36. Let's talk about the whole game in its totality, how the Pacers pulled this off, their impressive bench play, all sorts of good stuff that the Pacers needed in this game to pull off a huge divisional win. Right? I talked about the tiebreakers earlier this week and the Bulls one. Still kind of teetering. No longer teetering. The Pacers own the tiebreaker over the Bulls because of this win. Before we talk about the full game, I want to talk to you guys about prize picks. Prize picks daily fantasy made easy. It's super simple. Tonight, do you think Luka Doncic will score more or less than 26.5 points? Will LeBron James have more or less than 7.5 rebounds when he plays? For example, that's what prize picks is. You pick two to six players. And will they score more or less than their prize picks projections? And you can up to 25 times your money on any entry. It's not you versus other players. It's you versus the projections available. That's what I personally like about it. And they offer projections on any sport you watch, NBA, NFL, MLB, college sports, you name it. They've got it. It's safe with fast withdrawals. You can make your entries in a minute or less. And it's operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. So download the Price Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports first time users can receive a 100 instant deposit match up to 100 with the promo code locked on you deposit 100 price picks will give you 100 if you deposit 50 price picks will give you 50 don't forget to enter the promo code locked on and sign up for an instant deposit match up to 100 dollars at price picks daily fantasy made easy thank you as always 
for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day. For your second listen, check out Locked On Grizzlies because that team had a ton go on this weekend between John Morant and Brandon Clark. And as of me recording this, they're still going to stomp, it looks like. I mean, Dylan Brooks got suspended for a technical foul, and they still might stomp the Clippers. Uh, who knows? There's still some time left in the fourth quarter, but that would be crazy for the Grizzlies. And they have a lot of other stuff going on that is extremely important and sort of tied to the Pacers. Uh, let's talk about this game and what the Pacers just did, because it was a typical win in that they got Tyrese Halliburton brilliance to get it done. But it was an atypical win in a lot of other ways that this game went down. And I would say the biggest one is a stat and the subtle one is the way that the second unit played. And we'll start with the subtle subtle one, actually, because I thought that was, as it was described to us after the game, too, in the media sessions, more interesting and more telling. Uh, so the bench was so good in this game. So, so good for the Pacers. It was a slightly altered group because Aaron Neesmith was injured. He did not play. He's got a hip injury uh, at the time. So Jordan Wara started. And then O'Shea Brissett was the backup forward. Uh, so a lineup I talked about with Derek Kramer, I Pacers blog was the exact second unit the Pacers ran out, right? McConnell, Matherin, Brissett, Duarte, and Jackson, right? That seems like you get a good balance of offense and defense and can move it around. And you know, with the guys they had available, that was definitely their best second unit. And when they were playing, it just kind of felt like everybody was able to get to their spots and make the right plays. And they were defending really well, right? Chris Duarte, second fantastic game in a row. And some of it just comes down to making shots. But 15 points, he hit five threes, two boards, one steal. He was a plus three. Benedict Matherin, 34 minutes, 17 points, four rebounds, three assists, one steal, plus seven. He was great. His defense was phenomenal in this game. Isaiah Jackson, second game in a row is the backup center. Six points, seven rebounds and a block. He was a plus nine. TJ McConnell, 16 and a half minutes, which well-deserved for him because he was the team high plus 13. He was fantastic with six assists. He was really slinging that thing. Nine points and three boards. And then O'Shea Brissett getting minutes for the first time in a minute because this injury goes four for seven with 10 points and two boards. All five of those guys were really good in this game, right? Brissett played clutch time minutes defending DeRozan and Levine on occasion. McConnell stayed in a lot. Matherin closed the game. That's why he finished with so many minutes. Um, Brissett played that well, despite not having played serious minutes in forever. Uh, I already talked about McConnell being good. Jackson is a beast. Duarte had all these threes, right? They were all really good. And so that, of course, is noteworthy in and of itself because the Pacers second unit has not been sensational all season it's been very rocky but Carlisle said you know the, the points are great obviously but he said that what impressed him and starts about the second unit was the ball movement the passing right not necessarily the raw assists although uh that group did finish with 10 assists just that they were passing it a lot they were actively making an effort to keep the ball moving and not let it stick with anybody and they do have some you know I don't think they have any like ball stoppers in a way that it's a negative in that group but they do have some guys where it can stick a little bit and in this game, the ball kept moving, kept flying around, a very much a team effort situation. And that was really big for the group, right? They all discussed it after the game, too. And Carlisle said it took a lot of work behind the scenes to get them to play like this. And so, you know, for a young team, yeah, inconsistency will still come, certainly. But I think that if, if they have this blueprint and it worked so well, it'll be something that they can kind of hang their hat on as a group. And they've, you know, the, the center might change again and Aaron Neesmith could return. But this looked good. This was. A really good performance from the Pacers second unit. And all of them did their job. Every second they were in there, I thought it was really noteworthy as 
Carlisle was kind of discussing them after the game. He was like, I couldn't get them off the floor, right? In the second quarter, they were so good that they played so much. Buddy Heald barely, I think he had nine minutes in the first half because they couldn't get him in. They, there was no one to take off because they were all playing, all these bench guys were playing so well and having this huge impact. That was thing one about this game that stood out about the Pacers win is their bench was special in a way that they aren't all the time. And it was everybody involved. It wasn't a, a 25 point Matherin game. It wasn't Duarte getting hot. It wasn't McConnell having one of those McConnell games. It was all of them having a really solid outing at the same time. That was special. Obviously, Halliburton was tremendous with his 29 and 11. Um, but another thing I want to shift to that was so, not a very Pacers like uh, blueprint for success that was there in this game. This dates back to something I talked about when Halliburton was injured. Rick Carlisle said while he was out, right? We have such a thin margin for error. The Pacers did at that time. That's what Carlisle said, because when you don't have Tyrese Halliburton, you're you're your per-possession offensive output is smaller. So what I always would talk about on podcasts in that stretch is the Pacers need more possessions than the other team. They need to get more offensive rebounds. They need to turn the ball over less, right? They need to do all these things that get them more shot attempts. That way their efficiency and you know per-possession numbers aren't as important. In this game against the Bulls, the Pacers took 94 shots and the Bulls took 74. The Bulls shot 60.8% from the field and 45.5% from deep. Both of those numbers are a higher percentage than the Pacers. They also shot a better percentage from the foul line and they made more free throws, right? That all sounds like stuff where you'd say the Bulls won this game. But what the Pacers did is they dominated the possession game, right? The Bull, that, that's something that the Pacers have been terrible at. I talked earlier about that huge clutch possession where the Bulls had two offensive rebounds. That was half their total for the game. They had four the whole game. To the Pacers' credit, that one possession was bad, but most of the game the Pacers did well actually scooping up the misses they forced. Granted, they didn't force that many. They shot 61%, the Bulls did, but the Pacers did well enough on the defensive glass, and they were awesome on the offensive glass. The Pacers do not do typically awesome in this department, but four offensive rebounds for the Bulls, 13 for the Pacers. That's a ton of extra possessions, and in the end, if you look at the second chance points, eight for the Bulls, 20 for the Pacers. That's a big difference. So that's one way the Pacers were able to get some more possessions than their opponents is they crashed the offensive glass. They did a very good job in that way. The other way you get more possessions is turnovers. The Pacers only had nine in this game uh, and the Bulls had 14. And so between nine extra offensive rebounds and five extra turnovers, there's like 14 possessions just right there. And then uh, the, you know, the Pacers ended quarter strong. I thought this was really fascinating. The Pacers hit a shot in the final three seconds of every quarter. I asked some guys about it, and it's not just about the points that that shot gives you, although obviously that's important when you win by three, but it's also like you know it elevates your confidence and your momentum in a way that you're defending better in the next quarter and things like that. I thought that was all very illuminating. So credit to the Pacers, right? They got up these shots. They got up more shots. They found a way to get more possessions, way more possessions. And that was huge for them. That allowed them to take advantage of a Bulls team that was shooting super well. And so a not your traditional Pacers blueprint. It was normal in that Tyrese Halberton dominated in a win. It was atypical in that the Pacers won by killing it on the offensive glass, doing well with the turnovers and converting their extra chances. I thought everybody who played at least at times played their role well or pretty well, whether that was on the offensive end or the defensive end. They had uh, six guys in double figures, and I alluded to this, so I'll just wrap it up with this. Huge win for the Pacers' play-in pursuit. They're ahead of the Bulls now in the standings. They are now 11th 
uh, in the East by winning this game uh, because they clinched the tiebreaker over the Bulls. They win the season series three to one. That made that that was one of the last not wrapped up tiebreakers we talked about uh, on Thursday's podcast of last week. If you want to go check that out, so the Pacers are now in eleventh. They effectively have a game up on the Bulls because they own that tiebreaker the rest of the way. And then the Wizards lost uh, on the same night, so the Pacers are now one point five games out of that ten spot. Although they have played one more game than the Wizards, so if you want to just say the Wizards win that game, the Pacers are two behind the play-in right now, but they're in 11th, and they got the tiebreaker over the Bulls, and they're playing better now. They can get to that pursuit. Uh, So big win for the Pacers, both in terms of shutting down some hope for Chicago and keeping themselves in that chase that they, you know, I I don't, fans think one way or the other. I don't care what you want the Pacers to do the rest of the way, but they, the team, the players, the coaching staff, want want to be in this chase and in the postseason hunt down the stretch, and that's where they are after a big win over the Bulls and 1.5 out of that 10 spots as there's about 20 games left for most of these teams. So impressive win for the Pacers. They did it in an unusual way by dominating the possession game and getting a spectacular spectacular bench game and that sort of formula is something that would win them a lot of games right because their starting lineup is typically good enough with some stars in the mix they'll need everybody to be good tonight because they have another game another back-to-back this is the worst scheduling i think for teams it's so brutal when you travel for 10 days i mean you know they had enough gaps in between that it's not so bad and then you immediately fly home for a home back-to-back so it's basically like a travel game anyway so yeah it's a home game but Tough opponent for the Pacers, too. The Sixers. Let's talk about the Sixers there in town tonight for the Pacers. Can they keep it rolling and win their fourth out of five? If you told me that they had a chance to win four out of five, the only loss was San Antonio. I'd have laughed. But that's where we are. Before we get to that and a little talk about Terry Taylor, I want to talk to you guys about Bill Bar. Looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories, then you have got to try a Bill Bar. We're through the holidays. We're into March. And if your goal this year is to eat a little healthier, you've got to try Built Bar. It's healthy and actually tasty. They're so delicious, you won't think they're good for you. Perfect for any goals and New Year's resolution that you might have. What makes them so good? Well, they're covered in 100% real chocolate, and they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, coconut almond, and my favorite, peanut butter brownie. I don't know how Built Bar does it, but they taste like a candy bar while maintaining awesome macros. They have 130 calories only only four grams of sugar and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get them. You used to have to order them on built.com. Now you can go get them at Walmart or Sam's club in the pharmacy section at Walmart. Get your four box cookies and cream, double chocolate, coconut puffs, or if you're by Sam's club, get the 13 bar box, brownie batter, churro. You can thank me later. You will not be disappointed. Try built bar today. Thank you as always for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Of course, Lockdown Bulls hear what they have to say about another Tough loss for the Bulls and where that team season is headed. Really quick, I'll have a story up later today about Terry Taylor, who is with the Bulls now. Uh, He did not play in this game, but it made sense to me that he would at least be with the Bulls for this one. Not even for playing purposes, but just because he knows the Pacers, their tendencies, their plays. That can be valuable, right? James Johnson, like half of his appearances this season are against the Nets. Yes, he played for them last year, and that was valuable for the Pacers. Good to see him. Uh, He did say that. He was a little surprised when he was cut by the Pacers at the trade deadline. That story will be out uh, before the Sixers game at some point on Monday on Pacers SI. Pretty cool to see him and talk to him again, though. He had a lot of good and cordial interactions with his old Pacers teammates and staffers as he now suits up for Chicago down the stretch of the season. Let's move on to Philly, Pacers opponent tonight. If you remember, this game didn't feel... 
like this game feels like it should have been a bigger deal because the Pacers have beaten seemingly most of or not all of them. Uh, most of the good teams they played through the Pacers have beat the Sixers. The Pacers had them. That game went to overtime. Remember the last two minutes snafu of early January. Sixers end up winning that 129-126. So we've seen the Pacers at their best be able to hang with Philly. On the road, too, that was close to the Pacers' best play they had all season. They won their next two to get to five games over five hundred, And yet here we are where the Sixers are two days removed from just a ridiculous game. They they came back from, I can't remember, 18, 20-something down against the Bucks in Milwaukee to snap the Bucks' 16-game winning streak. Insane game. And Philly is just... I think they are one of the worst matchup teams for the Pacers. They have size, they play slow, and they can always have a super-duper star on the court. And for a team that struggles with point-of-attack defense, that's tough. The, the, the Sixers, I should say, in that game the Pacers played tough with them, did not have Joel Embiid, right? Like, that obviously matters a great deal. And so this game will be extremely tough extremely tough for the Pacers against a dominantly good Sixers team, right? Embiid in that game I just referenced against the Bucs had 31 and 10 in his early season appearance last October uh, against this Pacers team. He had 26 points in 28 minutes, barely had to play in the fourth quarter, right? Like he's just a beast. Harden had 29 and 11. The Pacers just really struggle with the matchups that the Sixers can throw at them. And that's what makes this game so tricky, but it's still possible to win, especially if they can have, the type of performance that I just talked about that they had against the Bulls, right? Win the possession battle, have a good bench game, all those things that go a long way when they're added up, make this game plausible for the Pacers. And that's doubly important, uh, I think, in this matchup as I knock my camera off of my laptop uh, because the Sixers suck on the glass, which is surprising given their size, but that is, to me, their biggest weakness watching them play and looking at their stats is they're 28th in rebounds per game, 40.4%. Their four-factor says they're 27th in offensive rebound rate, and they're okay on the defensive glass, right? So they are not a good rebounding team, and the Pacers, if they want to win the possession game, have the ball, be able to make it so the Sixers offense that is is so potent and has these stars, right? Uh, They're seventh in offense right now. Uh, this far into the season, doesn't have as many chances or has fewer chances to be themselves. So for the Pacers, rebounding is humongously important in this game. I don't know what center will get the minutes, but if it's Smith or Tice, that could help in that pursuit uh, because the the glass is, is the biggest uh, deficiency the Sixers have. Because if you look at a lot of the rest of their offensive stats, right, they're third in the NBA in three-point percentage, and they take about an average amount. They're good at getting inside the arc and finishing 15th and two-point percentage. That's fine. They're first in free throw percentage and first in free throws made per game. So from three and from the line, they're efficient and they get there a good amount and they pass it well and they don't turn it over that much, right? Eighth fewest in the league. So they just have a lot of possessions of efficient shots. That's a good formula, especially when you have two super duper stars on your team. And so, yes, the Pacers need to defend well. It's hard to do against the Sixers, but that is key. But rebounding is so important so the Sixers don't have extra chances to kill the Pacers over and over again because there's not a lot that they're bad at, right? They, they have a good effective field goal percentage. They take a ton of free throws. They don't turn it over much. Their defense itself is solid. In fact, it's actually pretty close to their offense in terms of rating in the league. It's eighth. They're eighth in defensive rating at 113. There's just not a lot of holes, and there's no matchup that you love 
if you're the Pacers because there's some good defenders on that team as well. I'd assume DeAnthony Melton will get some time on Halliburton. P.J. Tucker can defend, right? They just have bodies everywhere. So this is a tough uh, matchup on paper, especially for the Pacers, especially if all of the Sixers can go. And so it's going to be those little things, right? Taking advantage with the second unit when both stars aren't out there at the same time. That's going to be crucial for this Pacers team. Can they win the non- the non-hardened plus Embiid minutes. Can they rebound well? Can they take care of the ball in a way that gives them extra possessions? Can they play Pacers basketball against a team that tries so hard to impose their will, right? You can go through all this high-level stuff all the time, but I think the one that's going to make this game fascinating is the Sixers are 26th in pace, right? And the Pacers try to run, run, run. I think that's such an important part of their identity. They got a technical foul on the Bulls at a key point in tonight's game because they were trying to rush to get the ball in front of bounds, and a Bulls player tried to slow it down. It was Io DeSumo, I think, and he bumped the ball and made it carry him into the crowd, right? And so, yeah, that stops the Pacers in the moment, but it was also a delay of game. That was the Bulls' second one. They got a tech. So, like, that part of the Pacers' identity forces teams to, like, think about defending the second they score, and that's exhausting, and that's hard. And so imposing that will and playing the game they just played gives the Pacers the best chance against the juggernaut that is the Philadelphia 76ers. But it will be very tough. There's a reason that even without Embiid, the Sixers were able to beat the Pacers earlier this season. But if Halliburton plays like a star, the Pacers can hang with any team as well, even beyond some of the stuff that I just mentioned. If he plays great, the Pacers will look at least pretty good in this matchup. I'm looking forward to it, and you know tomorrow we'll be talking all about it here on the Locked On Pacers podcast. The itinerary for now is looking like uh, Pacers-Sixers, whatever happens in the game, uh, a, a second segment about a key player in the game, a key moment in the game, something like that. And then at the end, the first of the year, it's officially a full week of March. Standings watch part one. What's going on? What do the Pacers care about? How are their draft picks looking? How's their play in pursuit looking? All sorts of the key stuff. And we'll update that every single week for the rest of the season. Thank you guys a ton for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this game. Uh, sound, Hal Burton said his ankle feels fine. He had a little ankle scare in the middle of the game with Patrick Beverly. Uh, but Rick Carlisle said he might be questionable tonight. So if he doesn't play, we'll be talking about the Hal Burton-less Pacers against the Sixers. And if he does, of course, it's going to be a super fun matchup. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show. You can follow me on Twitter at TEastNBA and this podcast at Locked on Pacers. Be back tomorrow talking Sixers and more. Till then, everybody, have a fantastic day. You sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.